It's good to be here today. I want to welcome those of you who are in the room, also those of you who are joining us online. Again, my name is Dion. Uh, you know, 14 years ago, it's time flies, 14 years ago, this time of year, I was at the beginning of an experience that we call in our church body a vicarage, a vicarage experience. Um, that's a fancy word for internship because, you know, pastors like to make it confusing sometimes. So uh, uh, I was at seminary and for a couple of years, and then you go off on an internship for one year, and you work in a congregation, and they call it a vicarage. And so Jocelyn and I, we were sent to work in a congregation for a year and to learn more about ministry, a place in uh, a, a city called Woodbury, Minnesota. Now, when we first heard about that, Woodbury, Minnesota, at first, the night that we got the assignment, it sounded a lot like Mayberry. And we were kind of like nervous about that. Now, thankfully, it was before The Walking Dead was a thing because we would have been even more nervous. There was a Woodbury there too. If you didn't watch it, you're missing it. But anyway, um, but Woodbury actually turns out it's, it's a great place to live. We, we, you know, we drove in with a moving truck with our possessions in the back. Um, it's, a, it's a town just outside of the you know, kind of outer ring of St. Paul, Minnesota, the Twin Cities. Thriving community, really exciting place to live. And when we arrived there, we discovered a great community, a beautiful place. But we also discovered the church had done something. The church had assigned us to a host family. Now, I don't know how you would feel about that, but I've never been a fan of anyone else picking my friends for me. Um, and that's kind of what this felt like. And, and so we arrived there, and, and we had like a note from a host family, like, we're your host family for the year. And I was like, great. Um, this is, this is going to be awesome. The whole year, we're going to have some overzealous Minnesota Christians going, hey, yeah, sure, you betcha. You want to come down to the, see the thing over there, don't you know? You know, and, and I'm going, oh, man, alive. Um, and so, you know, they came by the day that we moved in, and we had a chance to meet them. Rick and Ann Gibbs were their names. They actually had two daughters, Morgan and Julia, Julia and Morgan, I should say. And, um, and we looked at them, we were like, okay, they look benign enough. Um, and then they came over, and they actually, they were, they were really hospitable. They brought some groceries, and they invited us to their house for dinner. And I'm thinking, here we go. Uh, and then they invited us to uh, join their small group Bible study. And I'm like, oh, great. Um, but you know what happened before long, it didn't take very long, that, that we just really fell in love with the Gibbs family. They were incredible. They were people who weren't just fulfilling some role, and they weren't just, you know, offering to be the host family because they wanted to get up close to the intern for whatever that might give them, I don't know. But um, it really was, they, they just had a heart to help us, this young couple who was moving there for a year, um, Jocelyn had just discovered before, like two days before we left, that she was pregnant. And, uh, and, and so we were like, you know, wide-eyed, um, not sure what this was all going to be. They just had a heart to help us find our way and to experience a great year. And so over the course of the year, there were all kinds of great things that they did for us. You know, they'd bring groceries over. They'd, they'd drop us a gift card every once in a while and say, hey, there's a restaurant. We really want you to try. And we know you guys don't have a lot of money, but, you know, take Jocelyn out. And uh, they would invite us over to meals at big holidays because our closest relatives lived about 600 miles away. And they'd invite us over for Easter with their family and, and stuff like that. Or, or they just even let us hang out after our small group Bible study. And we would just hang out in their living room till late hours laughing and talking and connecting. And it was so powerful. Ended up being great friends. But, but I think the moment that was most powerful was when our daughter Ellie was born. And again, you know, we... We didn't know anything about having kids. We didn't know anything about this community. And they walked with us through that whole process. In fact, they were some of our first visitors at the hospital when Ellie was born. Um, and I remember they brought us a meal 
that was not hospital food, which is pretty awesome. And uh, they brought gifts for Ellie, and they brought us this big tub of Cold Stone ice cream, which must have cost a fortune because that place isn't cheap. And, and they just brought that, and that's just kind of the people they were. And they walked with us through the next few months before we wrapped up our, our vicarage there, and they helped us figure out how to be young parents. They were just incredible. See, that's the power of what we're going to talk about today, which is hospitality. Now, I feel like in a lot of ways, hospitality is becoming a lost art, that it's not quite as valued in our culture today as maybe it was uh, decades ago, or maybe it's not as valuable here in our geographical region than it is in some other parts of the U.S. See, See, we raise our kids to be great leaders, and that's good, but we don't necessarily raise our kids to be great caretakers of people, do we? And so we may spend hours in teaching them how to do calculus or, or teach them how to shoot three-pointers or teach them how to do some, you know, life skill, but, but we don't spend a lot of time teaching them how to set a table or how to refill someone's water glass at dinner or even how to read the subtle nonverbal cues to know how to care for someone well. In our culture, uh, we, we still entertain, but we tend to entertain outside of our home. We take people out to restaurants where professionals can help us, and, and that's good and that's generous, but sometimes it loses some of its intimacy. Or we think that hosp- hospitality is, is kind of a commercial endeavor. That's what the Drury's do, or that's what Ritz-Carlton does, or that's what Disney does really well. But is that still what people do? Is there still a place in our culture, a needed place for person-to-person hospitality. Well, I want you to know that the answer unequivocally, undoubtedly, emphatically is yes, and that's not just my opinion. This is a biblical perspective. See, hospitality has been something that the people of God have embraced from the oldest of times all the way through New Testament. It's something we still need to embrace. I want to show you a few different places in the scripture today that talk pointedly about our need as God's people to be people who are hospitable above all. The first one's going to come from Leviticus. Now, Leviticus is one of these books of the Bible that is just one big giant list of do's and don'ts. Moses is giving it to the people of Israel, and some of you know that Leviticus has some teachings that are kind of strange. And so some people in modern times have just kind of tossed aside the entire book of Leviticus. But the reason that they do that is because they don't understand that in Leviticus there are moral teachings that are timeless, and then there are teachings that are customs, there are, there are dietary teachings, there are civil teachings, and they're all kind of lumped together. And so without context, it is a little hard to understand. Today we're going to look at some sections in Leviticus that are so clear that um, you can't not understand them. Let's look. Uh, Moses is speaking, but God is really the, the spokesperson, God is the one speaking through Moses. Moses is the spokesperson, I should say. And God says, observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Do stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. And when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So you kind of see how Leviticus goes back and forth with giving all these different do's and don'ts. And in this list, it's, it's interesting. I think for most of us, we'd be nodding along. You're like, okay, honor the Sabbath. Show reverence for the sanctuary, for, for God's holy place. All right. You know, uh, don't consult 
People who are like astrologers and spiritists and mediums and people who can conjure spirits. That's bad stuff. Don't do that. And we're like, okay. And uh, stand up in the presence of the aged. You know, last week we talked about the next generation being our focus. And that's the right orientation, to be focused on the future. And yet we still want to honor and respect those who have come before. That's what it means to be an intergenerational church. And I think most of us hear that and we go, yeah, it's good. It's good to respect and acknowledge the elderly. But maybe that last part trips some of us up, this, this thing about foreigners. Uh, it's kind of a hot topic these days. But, um, but, but, but God says to the people of Israel, he says, hey, for those foreigners who are among you, I want you to treat them as if they were native born. Treat them as if they were your own people. And I want you to love them as you would love yourselves. And then he gives a reason. Do you remember the rationale? Do you remember why he said they should do that? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he says, because you were foreigners in Egypt. See, he says, you know what it's like to be at someone's mercy. You know what it's like to be vulnerable. You know what it's like to be, you know, a, a couple in their early 20s in Minnesota not knowing anything and getting ready to have a baby. You, you know how vulnerable that place is. And you know what it's like when someone steps alongside you and they bless you and they care for you and they, and they provide covering for you. And you know what it's like when someone exploits you. You know what it's like to be mistreated. Now, now I know some of you are, are looking at this from Leviticus, and you know just enough about the Bible probably to be dangerous. And so you're saying, okay, but that's the Old Testament. We don't have to listen to all the Old Testament stuff, right? Because we're New Testament. We're New Covenant people. That's Old Covenant. If that's what you're thinking right now, I want to show you what it says in the book of Hebrews, New Testament. It says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, right? So love your, love your family. Love each other within the church. But again, do not forget, though, to show hospitality to strangers, to foreigners, to travelers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So uh, in the New Testament, it says the same thing. That hospitality is a hallmark for who we are. That we shouldn't just love those that we know, but, but strangers, foreigners, travelers. That we should, we should love them as ourselves. We should show kindness to them. We should show hospitality to them. Now, the rationale here is kind of weird, though, because he says, um, you know, you should do that because some people have entertained angels unawares. Now, I know what you're thinking. You know, whoever you hosted for dinner last Friday, they were not angels, and it's pretty clear, right? Um, But actually, as, as crazy as that rationale may sound, the writer of the Hebrews was referring to an event that every Hebrew person would have known about, where this very thing happened, where someone, someone just showed hospitality to people that they thought were travelers, and they ended up being angels, and it was a really powerful experience. It actually happened to a guy named Abraham. And so this isn't just some weird, like, hypothetical the writer to the Hebrews is talking about. It's a real live event, and every Hebrew person would have been nodding along saying, oh, yeah. We remember why hospitality is important. In fact, I want to tell you that story. This comes from Genesis chapter 18. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. That'll be important. And Abraham looked up and he saw three men. Now again, this is, this is the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. This is long before Moses, long before Leviticus, long before the New Testament. This is, you know, way, way back at the beginning. Abraham's one of the first guys that we get to learn a lot about in the Bible. So a uh, long, long time ago, he's sitting at a tent, he's looking up, and it says he saw three men standing nearby. Now when he saw them, look what he does. He hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, 
if I have found favor in your eyes. Now, these are guys who are just, you know, coming, cutting across his land. He goes, if I have found favor in your eyes, you know, we'd be like no trespassing signs and shotgun, like get off my land, right? Um, but Moses is like, no, no, no. It, it bows down and says, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you all may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. Now, now you see Abraham behaving very strangely maybe to some of us that, that these strangers just kind of, you know, are encroaching on his land and instead of seeing them as, as threats, he does something crazy. He, he bows down, you know, calls them Lord, says, please let me serve you. Give me the honor of serving you. This is, again, this is, this is maybe not how we, we think about it, but I want you to understand something about Abraham. He's simply doing what any righteous person of his time would do. See, the land that he's living in is not a very hospitable place. It's hot. This happened at the heat of the day. Um, it's a place where there's not plentiful water. In fact, wherever there is water, people tend to live around it. There are cities there. There's not a lot of food. There's not even a lot of shelter. That's why his tents are pitched near uh, these great trees. Because he's, he's there where the shelter is. And so if in this land, if someone's traveling through this very inhospitable place, it's your obligation to show them kindness. And the basic rule was that you needed to give them some shelter, some water for washing, and then some food and drink so that they could be refreshed. And so Abraham is simply doing what any righteous person would do. If you're a good guy, this is simply what you do. But Abraham takes it a step further. Look, it says, So Abraham hurried into the tent where they're living to tell his wife Sarah. He said, Quick, get three seahs of the finest flour, you know, the good stuff, not the lumpy stuff, but the finest flour, and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before the, these travelers, these strangers. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. So, so Abraham is going above and beyond, the finest flour, the choice calf, curds and milk. He brings them to his guests and he stands there at attention, waiting on them while they sit and recline under the tree and eat. Now, why is he doing this? Because this is what righteous people do. If you're a good guy, this is just what you do. Now at this point, Abraham does not even know that these three men are angels. And you know, Hebrews told us that they were, but, but uh, Abraham doesn't even know this yet. These are, just, these are just travelers who have come, they've cut across his land, they've stumbled onto his territory, and he is doing what a good man would do. But he's about to discover, out, discover who these guys really are and what they're here to do. We're going to jump ahead to verse 16. It says, when the men finally got up to leave after being refreshed and fed and cared for well, they looked down toward Sodom, which was this city kind of a ways off. You could see it. Had a sister city called Gomorrah. Abraham's kind of living out on his own, but there's a city nearby. So they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way because he's a gracious host, and that's what you do. But then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. 
For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children, talked about this last week, and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. See, see, uh, something is going on here bigger than Abraham realized. He's just entertaining these travelers, and yet God is up to something. And God finally says, you know what, we, we can't keep this from Abraham. Because Abraham is a good guy. And how do, how do we know that Abraham's a good guy? Well, because God can see in the heart, and he can read our thoughts, and knows our inclinations. Yeah, 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 but more simply than that, if you're not God, how do you know that Abraham is a good guy? Because he just demonstrated it. He just showed that he was a good guy by the way he took really good care of these three men who stumbled onto his territory, who happened onto his land. He took exquisite care of them. And now because of this, you know, because Abraham has demonstrated again that he is a righteous person by doing what righteous people do, God decides to let Abraham in on what this whole thing is all about. Says, then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, these cities in the distance, is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down personally and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So God says, The reason we're traveling through here, the reason these messengers came, is because, man, people have been crying out to me about the wickedness of the people of Sodom, and I've got to go do an investigation. I've got to go see for myself in order to be fair. I've got to do an investigation to see what is about to happen. Now, now the reason this is important for Abraham is that Abraham's nephew, Abraham has no kids at this point. He just found out he's going to have a son in the future, but he's an old man. His living relative, his nephew, is living in the city of Sodom. So this is big news for Abraham that God is displeased and that the city might be destroyed. And so Abraham then, uh, we won't look at this part, he, uh, he spent some time bargaining with God, asking God to spare the city if just a few righteous people can be found. And they start at about, I think, 50, and they go down to 10, and, uh, and then the angels go on their way. And they go down into Sodom, and they get, they get ready to make their investigation, and they walk into the city, and everything is different than what they experienced when they crossed onto Abraham's land. Abraham's nephew Lot sees them and he quickly drags them into his house and he's like, hey guys, stay here and you know, bar the door and they, they're like, what's going on here? And, and then the men of the city come and they surround that house and they beat on the door and they demand that, that these, mes- these, uh, these uh, travelers be released to them so that they can violate them. And the investigation's now over. Okay, close the books. The angels get Lot and his family out of the city. Fire comes down from heaven, and it's all over for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, some of you have heard this story before, and, and you know, we, there's a lot of talk about why those cities were destroyed. At the most basic level, what's the difference? These angels who encountered Abraham and these angels who encountered the people of Sodom, what's the basic difference? What, what demonstrates who are the good guys and the bad guys, the righteous and the wicked? What's the demonstration of that? See, the first sign of it, the first demonstration is revealed in their hospitality. And and here's what I have to say, that how you treat the stranger who stumbles onto your land, the, the, the foreigner, the outsider who comes into your space, how you treat that person reveals volumes about what's in your heart. Can I trust you or can I not? Are you righteous or are you wicked? Are you a good guy or a bad guy? So much of it comes down to our first 
impression. And this is true throughout the Bible, and that's why there's always a high standard on God's people to be hospitable above all. But it's true everywhere, isn't it? I just want you to think for a second about the power of great hospitality. Great hospitality has the power first to reveal our true intentions, right? If I don't know if you're good or bad, but you act kindly to me, if, if you're lavish and generous to me in the first few moments that we meet, then all of a sudden I start to see what's inside you, even though I don't really know you yet. Uh, you could say it this way, that hospitality also, number two, builds trust. It's a trust builder when you don't have much to go on. Third, it can soften a hard heart. Right, that was my story in Minnesota. I didn't want any stinking host family. And then I got one, and their kindness, their love, their concern, it melted me. I love those guys now. That's what great hospitality can do. It can soften a hard heart. Fourth, it can show people that they really matter. See, we have the power, each of us as God's people, to preach the gospel without saying a word. By the way, we treat someone who comes into our midst who is new, who is vulnerable, who is in need, just by the way we show hospitality. And see, the reason this has been such a high standard for God's people all throughout time, and and we are included in that, we are not exempt from that, is because part of this, part of doing this, it's, it's a testimony, it's a proclamation of the fact that we were once foreigners and strangers and aliens when it came to God. We were not friends of God, and yet when God came across us, he didn't exploit us, he didn't ignore us, instead he treated us really, really well, right? When we do this to other people, we are testifying to how well we have been treated by our God. It's no different than it was with the Old Testament people of Israel. They were rescued from Egypt, from slavery, and then the way they treated people was a reflection on how well they had been treated by their God. For us, it's exactly the same, except it's even more so because God hasn't just rescued us from Egypt. He's rescued us from sin and death by the power of Jesus. See, great hospitality has incredible power. And here's where all this comes together, that although I believe we have a great church, and I believe the heart of this church is good, I've been becoming more uh, increasingly concerned about the first impression we might give to a traveler who happens onto our campus for an outsider who comes in who doesn't know anything about us. I, I, I don't know that we are revealing very well what I believe is at the heart of this church. Let me show you what, what I mean. Uh, you know, currently, if you were to come onto the St. John campus, and let's just assume for a second that you can even, you even notice the St. John campus in this big blur of asphalt and brick and mortar that is Manchester Road. Um, but let's just say, and some of you on live stream, you're like, oh, that's what the church looks like. Yeah, that's what we look like. Um, so if you were to come onto this campus, immediately you'd be met by a mass of buildings, impressive buildings that we're really grateful for, and a giant parking lot, and you would have no idea what to do next. And there are parking people to help you, but, but you know, I did this a couple of weeks ago. I came just to the 1045 service like you did, and I kind of parked back here, and I was walking in, and I was watching as people were streaming into this back building. That's where our students go, but again, if I'm new, I don't know that. And then some people were coming in these doors here where our commons are, and some people were coming into those doors there, and some people were walking all the way around to the front of the building. And if you're new, you have no clue. You have no idea where to go. And I think what we're unintentionally saying to people if they're new onto our campus for the first time, what we're saying to them by this is if you were supposed to be here, if you belonged here, you would know where to go. Now I want you to contrast that with Abraham. 
who sees these three strangers crouching on his property. And he runs up and he falls down and he says, my lords, let, let me serve you. Let me, let me bring some water. Let me cook you some food. Please give me the honor. Give me the honor of taking care of you. So let's, let's suppose that you eventually figure out how to get into our campus. You come in through our commons entrance, which is probably the closest entrance. Um, currently, you would you'd come into a place that's a ghost town. Uh, no one is there. Now, even these happy people and light and stuff, like you don't even see that on a Sunday morning. This is taken during the week, I guess. Um, but it's a ghost town. Again, you're looking around, you're going, where, where are the people? Is this, where am I supposed to go? If you have a kid in tow... And, uh, and you're trying to figure out where to go for children's ministry. You're going to go up and down and all around. And if you, know, if you ask someone for help, they'll tell you where to go. And they'll, they'll lead you there. And they'll be really great and hospitable. But if you're like me, and you would rather wander for a solid hour rather than ask someone for directions, I'd rather miss the service than ask for help, right? Um, if you're me, then, then you're never going to find it. And the reality is, again, if, if you come onto our campus and you've got your kids and you're ready for church and, and you, you make it to the commons and it's a ghost town and then... If you just knew that there's this, there's this doorway to children's ministry, except I talked about this last week, you would never know that that's a place where children go. Like if you get right on it, you see a mural at the end of the hallway, but, but until then, it's just kind of this white, bright, institutional-looking hallway, and yet that's a doorway to children's ministry. But again, you would never know that. Now again, does this honor the spirit of Abraham? Does this look like Abraham and his guests? Eventually, if you make it upstairs to the sanctuary, you follow the little signs that are around, uh, and you make it up here, you'll see people, hallelujah, people, and, and you'll come in, and you'll come into a space that's a, it's a great big space. It's a space we're very blessed to have. I'm so grateful for the people who sacrificed to build this space. But you know what? You come into a space that looks a little um, worn. You know, I love the red carpet as much as anyone. Um, but the real problem with this, this flooring in here is that it's, it's worn. I mean, it's tattered. It's, it's piecemeal. It doesn't all match even. And, and uh, you come into a, a space that has had improvements made, but, but uh, you know, not, not always a lot of coherence. And there's new and old, and it's meshed together in a way that's not always, not always the best. It looks a little, a little hodgepodge. And, and just to be honest, I mean, just be honest with yourself. If, you're, if your living room looked like this, if your house looked like this, you'd probably be reluctant to invite guests over, wouldn't you? And yet we invite people in here, and, and you know, this, this is their, their first meeting of us. And, and you know, because I, I don't know that this says, I don't know this speaks very well by who, about who we are as a people and what we value. Or I don't know that it speaks very well to our guests to say, hey, you're our honored guest. We're glad you're here. In addition, there's infrastructure here that's a problem. There's a challenge. You know, there's some days in the summer where our, our almost 30-year-old HVAC units aren't pumping air conditioning, and so it's hot in here. And, and we have the sound system that was a second-hand, bar, we bought it used sound system. It's over 30 years old. There are numerous blown-out speakers. And let me just tell you that if, if you're a newcomer here, if you're a traveler here, if this is your first time here, and you, if you're a little older maybe, and so you've had some hearing loss, or maybe you just have some hearing challenges, you're going to struggle the whole service to hear a word. Because we've got an inadequate sound system with blown out speakers and not enough acoustical paneling. Now, it's not Sodom up in here. But this doesn't exactly look like Abraham greeting his guest, does it? doesn't quite reach the bar that the Bible sets for how the people of God are to be for those who travel onto their uh, territory, those who, uh, who come into their land, people who are outsiders who come in, right? We can do 
better. So, so think about it this way now. Um, we, we change the outside of our campus and suddenly instead of it just looking like asphalt and brick and mortar, you see green space and water and life. You see, you see growth. You see a, a place that looks different. And, and then you come onto our campus and because of these green spaces, there are now walkways. There are thoroughfares where people aren't just walking every which way, but they're, they're funneled into the same direction. So you can just walk along with them straight into a place like our commons. Then when you walk into our commons, no longer is it a ghost town. But it's a place where, hey, it looks like we're expecting you. There's a welcome desk. There's signage. There are people. There are volunteers greeting you. Uh, over on the other side of the commons, if you turn around, turn your back around, you'd look to that, that industrial food service window. It now looks more like a, a cafe and people are hanging out and, and they're having coffee and they're laughing and you're looking and you see people and you're like, these people aren't so scary. These, these look like good people. These look like people whom I can trust. And immediately, your, your heart's getting a little softer and trust is being built and you're sensing the intentions of the people that you're about to join for worship. And, and the gospel is being communicated to you before you say a word. Uh, if you have kids in tow, you don't have to do the up, down, all around, wander for an hour. You, you see children's ministries right there. And not only is there a sign, but it looks like the place where kids go. And so you go to children's ministry and you drop your kid off. And then you finally come up to a sanctuary. We don't have renderings on this yet. You come to a sanctuary that is still reverent. It still feels sacred. But it's also modern and it's well-kept. And it reflects that what we do here is important, that we value it. We show reverence for the Lord's sanctuary, as it says in Leviticus. See, we can do better. It's not all that bad now, but the bar is really high in the scriptures. You you saw Abraham's example. We can do better. Why? Because hospitality, great hospitality, has the power to reveal our true intentions and to build trust and to soften a hard heart and to show people they really matter. And isn't this what we want people to know? Not just that they matter to us, but that they ultimately matter to God? Don't we want them to know that there is a father who, who, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, has launched an all-out search for them, and he's been pursuing them, drawing them from from wherever they've been, into his love, into his protection, into his grace and kindness. Don't we want people to sense that from the moment they come onto our campus? See, we can do better. The call on God's people has always been to do better. And as a part of next, we will do better. And so here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to pray specifically. You know, we're leaning into this and we're, we're each personally tying ourselves to, uh, to, to this vision. And so um, right now, you can take out your smartphone, and you can take a picture of this up on the big screen, maybe. It's even bigger. Um, You can take a picture of this. These are your prayer prompts for the week. And I also want you to set a timer, uh, a reminder, rather, on your calendar. Monday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday lunch. Remind yourself to pray for these things, or, you know, write it down if, if if you prefer paper. Write yourself a note right now so you'll remember to do this. And I want you to pray about these things because if we don't all personally lean into this, this stuff doesn't happen. We don't reach our goal. We don't make the improvements. But our culture doesn't change and we don't become people of great hospitality who reflect the standard that God has set for God's people all throughout time. So uh, first, pray for others. Pray for those who feel alone and tired in their journey, knowing that there are many in our community who feel that way. 
Now, I know that you're aware of some, and there are people that you know, but there are people who are burnt out on life. They are hopeless. They are lost. They are alone and tired in their journey, and they don't know that there is a place of refuge where where, where people put their arms around them and say, we're glad you're here, and where they will be able to sit under the love and the kindness of God to restore them from from just the fatiguing nature of life. They don't know it. But until they know, will you pray for them, even if you don't know their names? Again, take a picture. Don't forget to do this. Write it down and make sure you pray for that this week. Second, let's pray for our church to reveal God's heart through our first impressions. That when people come here, that immediately they will get a sense of God's heart for them in in our spaces, in the physical space that we're in, but of course in our people. And then thirdly, I want you to pray for yourself that you will be better at offering hospitality to others personally. Like, I'm praying for this. I'm not the most hospitable person when someone crosses me, Uh, right? Like, I'm not, my first inclination isn't, how can I serve you? It's not it. My first inclination is, I'm busy, get out of my way. And that's why I need to pray for this. And I hope you pray for this too, that personally God will help you do this. But then also, it's really important that you begin praying specifically about how God is calling you to step up as a part of this whole next initiative. I've said this before, if we hold the line and don't do anything new over the next two years, um, our budget over that two-year period of time will be about eight and a half, eight point eight million dollars million. We are calling you to stretch, to step up, so we can get about an additional two and a half, two point two, two and a half million dollars so that we can move things forward here as a church, so we can do what's next. That means that all of us have to pray about God you know, God, how do you want me to step up? Now, I want you to know there's some people who have already submitted their, their pledges. I've had a good handful of people who've done that, done it early. You're not late. We're going to do that in a couple of weeks together. But on average of those people who've already turned in their pledge cards, do you know that the average increase was 45%? People are stepping up saying, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna give financially 45% more to make this happen. That's huge. And these are people who are not token givers. These are people who, a lot of them are given over $10,000 a year. They're saying 45%. We've had some people who've doubled their support over the next two years. Why? Because they believe we are called to do better, we can do better, and that by doing this together, more people will come and find the love of God. Now, you just got to figure out whatever it is God is calling you to do. Don't get hung up on my numbers that I just gave you. But you've got to start leaning in and saying, God, you, you've, you've, you've saved me. You found me wandering and you brought me into your family. You've brought me into life and forgiveness and hope. God, you've shown me great hospitality. You, you pursued me. You've invested in me. Father, how, how do we do this better? And how, what part do you want me to play in it? That's your prayer this week, okay? Because God is calling us to do more, to do better. And we can by God's grace. So let's pray. Father, we ask today that you would help us 